Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Rovere. I am an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. Uh, if you followed me for a while, you know I'm a huge advocate for prison rehabilitation, but not the current way they're doing it, uh, where it's punishment-minded. Um, it doesn't work. Uh, I think that's pretty obvious. Um, but what does work is positive reinforcement. You say, what? Being nice to criminals and being nice to serial killers and showing them love and kindness, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, well, they don't deserve it. It's not about deserve. Um, I get flack all the time on social media. How can you be nice to these people when you give them a platform and this and that? And Well, yes, I am showing compassion and I am showing kindness and I am showing love you know, to people who have done some horrible things. But the goal is rehabilitation. Um, yes, I've built friendships up with, with people whom the world deems evil and who's definitely done some you know horrible things. Uh, but it's about rehabilitation. Uh, if you read my book, The Story of You, about you, Masaki, that's why you, Masaki, not Y-O-U. Um, there's so much research done by neurologists, uh, neuroscientists about psychopathy and how they're not deterred by fear. You know, it's, it's not how the brain works. And we get an argument of do they truly have free will when they have brain abnormalities that don't let them understand, uh, not that they don't know right and wrong by the legal definition uh, of insanity and, and insanity pleas in court, uh, which really should be re, uh, definitely readdressed one day. Uh, I doubt it ever will. Um, they know what they're doing is right and wrong, but if they don't have the capability to stop themselves in some instances, um, especially in the amygdala portion of the brain where the stop button exists. You know, I said before, and somebody bumps you in the shoulder and you want to turn around and smack them, but your amygdala kicks in and says, oh, I better not. Well, if you don't have that part of your brain functioning to the, oh, I better not part, there's no stop button. There's no brakes. So we really got to examine how um, we look at people and we judge somebody who's done horrible things. I'm not saying let them free. I'm not saying not lock them up. Um, but how we perceive them. We say, well, if I was them, I would do this and that. No, you, you, if you had their brain, you would have done the same thing. That's what people don't understand. Uh, but anyway, uh, you can get that in more in my book, A Story Review. Um, but it's all about rehabilitation. That That's my goal in, in, in a lot of this. Um, but tonight, we are going to have part two, The Conclusion, with uh, Charles Chase Merritt. Got a lot of positive feedback about part one, and I... Uh, it was just starting to get juicy, you know. <laughs> I don't want to make one long podcast where he really starts getting into some uh, amazing facts. And that's one thing about what Chase does. Um, he gives facts. So you can't argue with facts. Now, there are some things you might say, well, maybe, maybe not. Um, but, again, that's why I leave it to, to you. Uh, I give Chase the platform. Uh, he wanted me to give pushback on certain things, and I was like, you sure? I just wanted to give you a platform to say whatever you want. He said, no, if you have doubts about anything, uh, come at me and come at me as hard as you can because he truly believes in his innocence and that he has facts to prove uh, that so. And I did. You know, I did bring up a lot of things, and there's some things I'm not quite sure I still I agree with. Um, but I think after listening to this, man, you should have some doubt of whether he is truly guilty or not. Um, and you know, find me on social media, find this link and comment on what you think. I would love to hear. And so would Chase, you know, a lot of views, um, thousands and thousands of views we got, uh, on the podcast through social media, um, through, through Twitter or Facebook. Um, so it's great. So I'm glad everybody's listening. 
um, uh, hopefully uh, this gives some clarity to the case, because especially in his trial, uh, the documentary, uh, Two Shallow Graves, um, a, lot, a lot of stuff did not get into the trial. A lot of stuff didn't even make it into the documentary, uh, which is understandable. I mean, you, you can only do so much. Um, but here we're going to hear about the facts that never made it to trial. Uh, and his book's going to be released uh, in a few months. Uh, and I think he's going to start a website where you can look up everything that he's saying, uh, all the facts. Um, again, he's just not making things up. Um, he's providing facts to back up everything that he says. So eventually, you know, I'll put a word out on my social media page when, when the book finally comes out. Um, you know, We were talking about Joseph McStay and the murder, uh, him, his wife, his, his children, um, and really taking a hard look at Dan Cavanaugh, his relationship with one of his girlfriends, uh, the debt that she got into from uh, basically selling drugs, who eventually he sold the company to the give Oh, I'm not going to give it away. You know, for now, why don't we just hear from Chase himself? Here we go. The motive for you to um, eliminate or, or murder him would have been detrimental financially, almost crippling to you. Oh, of course it would. And then, but Dan. It was crippling. Yeah. He, well, ex- exactly. Uh, but for Dan, no, it, it was kind of a different story. Um, it was just the opposite. As a matter of fact, I have, I can tell you, um, and I don't know if I find it here, after February 4th, well, prior to February 4th, mm-hmm. he had received about 50, just over, I think it was $1,545 in the 40, in the 40 days prior to Joseph disappearing. That's how much money he was, he, he had gotten from Joseph. Mm-hmm. $1,545. In the next, um, well, in, in the following less than a month between the 4th and the, I don't want to say a date unless I know it for sure. Um, well, we can say after the disappearance. Right <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I can say, we can just say after the disappearance he earned. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just summarize it. Sure. Uh, basically, he, he made about $1,500 in the 40 days prior to Joseph's disappearance. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not enough to live on. And then, just after Joseph disappeared, between actually the 1st um, of February and the 17th of February, he subtracted, he took $12,900 out, out of Joseph's business account Transferred it to PayPal, and then and then transferred it to his PayPal account. Oh wow! So, so when Dan Kavanaugh said that he didn't have access to Joseph's account, and he he told the detectives, "Oh, I never had access to Joseph's business account. Only the PayPal." The detectives knew he was lying because in order to have in order to get the money put onto Joseph's PayPal account. You ha- the bank had to be contacted and the bank had to be told to transfer the money to the PayPal account. Mm. And then the money from the PayPal account was then transferred to, to Dan Kavanaugh's account. Wow. So Dan Kavanaugh had access to Joseph's business, business account the entire time. But yet 
she told detectives that she didn't, and they just ignored the fact that mm-hmm. I mean that these transfers were being made out of his business account into his PayPal account and then then withdrawn by Dan Kavanaugh. Um, not to mention there was there was significant a significant amount of money from new well from from two different sources. The two projects, the Paul Mitchell and Saudi Arabia project that uh, Joseph and I were in the middle of, we ended up um, getting, well, I ended up finishing them. But when I finished them, I I had Paul Mitchell wire me the amount that I was owed. And I had them wired Dan Kavanaugh because Susan told me to have it wired to Dan Kavanaugh. Dan Kavanaugh was wired $11,000 when the Paul Mitchell project was done. When I finished it in New York, the day that I finished it, I was still in New York. Paul Mitchell wired Dan Kavanaugh $11,000, the final payment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, was that normal then, for when I was in? Was that normal for Dan to get wired no. the money? No, but Joseph wasn't around, and I talked to Susan Blake, and I said, "Look, I need to know where to tell these people to send the money mm-hmm. because you know I could I could have just told them to send it to me, sure, <laughs> but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I told them to send it to Dan Kavanaugh. They sent an eleven thousand dollars wire transfer into, and I have." Dan Kavanaugh's bank account, mm-hmm. all of his information, where the wire hit his account. They sent him $11,000. That was the final payment. Obviously, they're not going to send that unless the Paul Mitchell waterfall was complete. Mm-hmm. But he got that. And he told detectives that he immediately sent all that money to Susan Blake. But none of the bank accounts show any kind of transfer or check or anything else from Dan Kavanaugh to Susan Blake. Dan Kavanaugh kept that money. Mm-hmm. Then when I finished the project for Saudi Arabia, on the 5th of March, I shipped it. And again, I had Dan, I had uh, them trans- wire transfer an additional, if I'm not mistaken, 16000 485, somewhere in there, just all, mm-hmm. just just over sixteen thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. To again, to Dan's account. Yeah. When that project was finished. Mm-hmm. So Dan had that that sixteen thousand plus the eleven, so so twenty seven thousand dollars. Um, all by March fifth. Wow. And he and. He did, he did actually end up paying some money out because I made him. I told him, look, uh, Metro Sheet Metal needs to get paid this amount. He actually wired them $10,000 of that. Oh, okay. So, but he kept $17,000. So, you know, and it, it never got into Joseph's account. It never got to Susan Blake. So, but, you know, Dan, Dan was had $17,000 there. Um, and then after that, obviously I, I, I mentioned that Susan Blake had 
six or seven projects that she ended up getting down payments for and, and mm-hmm. getting paid for. And she paid she paid money out to me to get them produced. I produced them and she got all of the final payments on those. Now for Susan Blake, and tell her, was, those who aren't familiar, what exactly was Susan Blake's role in the company? Um, not much other than taking the money. Taking okay. the money in and paying me. Okay. Um, I I sold the waterfalls, you know, she she put me in contact with the customer that called that you know called in or went to the website and I finalized the project, then had them either wire transfer or send a check or whatever it was to Susan Blake. There's different different ways they paid her. And then Susan Blake met me and paid me for the down payment mm, okay. for those waterfalls. I finished them and then she paid then she wrote me checks for the remaining balance. Okay. Once she got paid. And all of those all of those projects that came after Joseph disappeared, not only did Susan Blake get the initial deposit, she also got the final payment from the customers. Which basically is Pretty much definitive proof that the that the fountains were finished. Sure. And the only person that could have finished them, of course, is me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and uh, she ended up making about fourteen thousand dollars from that. From those after after I was paid. Uh, and I again, I have the whole damn thing in vivid. All written out. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't find the damn thing right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, here it. Oh, I think I found it. Yeah. Okay. Um, here, basically, here is the breakdown. Um, in the first place, Geist Construction. I don't know whether you remember Geist Construction. They they came mm-hmm. and testified that they had to uh, that they had problems getting the water features and stuff like that which was not true. But anyway, Dan Kavanaugh was paid $6,250 from Guy's Construction, and so was Susan Blake. She was paid an additional $6,250. Susan Blake made Guy's Construction pay her $6,250 after they had already paid me for my part of, of building the waterfall. So they actually overpaid $6,250 for Susan Blake and made him pay it. And then Dan Kavanaugh took $16,839 in the form of a wire transfer from Saudi Arabia. In the form of a wire transfer, he took another $11,000 from Paul Mitchell. And then um, there was a check written to Susan Blake for a a company from a company called Bismarck. That waterfall was in the process of being built when Joseph disappeared. I finished it and had them send Susan Blake the remaining balance of $3,250. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, which comes to a total of $43,589. Dan then, I then had Dan uh, wire $10,700 to 
um, Metro Sheet Metal for the Saudi Arabia project. And um, I had him wire $5,000 to me for a payment, payment to me for the Paul Mitchell, when I finished the Paul Mitchell fund. So they kept a total, of, between Dan and Susan, they kept a total of $27,889 from the projects that were already in production when Joseph disappeared. Mm -hmm. Then they took an additional, uh, Susan took an additional $33,104 in checks from customers after Joseph disappeared from, from uh, C1710 all the way to 4610. And she paid me $19,950 to, to, to build those water pieces. So she retained an additional $13,354 from Joseph's business. It was never put into anything, any of his accounts or anything. So for the existing jobs, there's 27889 for the new custom is $13,354. So between Dan and Susan Blake, they retained a total of $41,243. Now, just by... Just through yeah, just by listening Mark. to that, maybe there's an answer to this you have, maybe you don't. Um, whether Joseph was missing or not, she knew the books. She knew where to wire the money. Why do you think it doesn't matter if somebody couldn't get a hold of somebody for a, a couple of days or a week. It was his money, Joseph's money. Why didn't she just wire it into the account that I'm sure she had access to? It was his money. She knew Dan when it has nothing to do with getting money from projects. What, what reasoning do you think that she wouldn't just wire the money to Joseph? It's his money. She knows she's, handles the money. goes right into his account. She paid you. you your due money. She should have paid Joseph okay. his due money. I mean, okay. what? Exactly. And on 217 $10, a $7,500 check was given to her that she deposited into her personal account. Why she didn't have that transferred to Joseph's account, I don't know. Was but anything? Anything? After that, after that, Joseph's business account was closed. His business account was closing. Hmm. And Susan Blake knew that. So the next check she, she got was for $5,680, um, and that was on 315. By then, the, the, the checking account was already closing. So um, there was a legitimate reason for her to, to have the money transferred to either her or another business account that, that they ended up opening. But, after but it there was... was no legitimate reason yeah, exactly. for her to retain the money, for her to retain the money. And what's most important is, not only did she retain the money, but when she was specifically asked by the court in trial by the judge, the judge said, after February 10th, did you take any money in? What money came into the business? And she said, her, her, uh, this is almost a quote, she said, there wasn't any money coming in. I was paying for money going out. Mm. Which was absolutely false. Wow! She, they had a total of forty-one over forty-one thousand dollars coming in. 
and that's what she was paying me for or mm-hmm. with to finish the project. But it made it look like I was taking advantage of poor Susan Blake and taking her money to finish projects. And she alleged she was telling, basically told the court that she didn't even know whether they ever got finished or not. When she knew damn well that they got yeah. finished. <laughs> That's why we get paid. <laughs> she's the one that received an email. Of course, that's the only yeah. way they got paid. Mm-hmm. Number one, number number two. When I was in Saudi Arabia, I I texted her, and and with the installation, and I'll be coming back to the states in two days. I think I said mm-hmm. whatever it was. Um, but when she saw that email in court, well, I've never seen that before. She would not authenticate it. Ah, the only way okay. it would have been able to be uh, right. authenticated is if I if I actually went on the stand. Mm-hmm. Which I wanted to. I was, I definitely wanted to get on the stand, but yeah. I was afraid that that James McGee would just feed me to the lions, basically. Yeah, and you could he see it. Not, he wasn't going to protect me. Yeah, you could see that in your face when when you're thinking about testifying or oh, not. You could oh, see wow. the anguish and the torture of like, I desperately want to do it, but this could really, really hurt me here. Oh, I wanted uh, to. I wanted to so badly. Um, you asked me about the Esperito thing, that, where Dan basically confessed to doing the crime. Oh, with his, with his girlfriend? Um, or when his, no, when his... with a guy named Esperito. It was a police report um, that this guy building a water fountain, he was building a water, I mean, a, a fish tank for mm-hmm. Dan Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. And and Dan, Dan was unhappy with him, and he threatened him. Yeah. So uh, I have that um, that write-up. Oh, definitely, yeah. That's when you hear that. Oh, yeah, sure. It. Okay. Basically, um, this is dates number 5807 to 5808 in, in the, the discovery. It says, Kavanaugh began, began telling Escarito that he knew how to make people disappear. And if anything happens again, they will find his bones in the desert. He continued to make threats regarding other people who have gone against him on business deals. Mm. So, you know. Yeah, so powerful. Obviously. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um. It says, let's see, uh, okay, the police report itself says Kavanaugh built a website, built a website for the guy, and approximately a week and a half ago, Esperito wasn't able to contact him for over a week. He needed to fulfill his end of the agreement and build the aquarium. And now this is the police report that this guy filled out. He says, but he needed input. Finally, on 11-22-13, Kavanaugh answered his phone. He sounded extremely angry and possibly on drugs. Esperito asked him where he was, and Kavanaugh said he was just getting home. Esperito asked when he could meet with him, and Kavanaugh said he will be at the shop in five minutes. Within five minutes, Kavanaugh arrived at Esperito's shop. He looked high and was sweating profusely. He said he had not slept in several days. He was extremely angry at Esperito, claiming that he'd been done dirty. 
Kavanaugh began telling Esperito that he knows how to make people disappear, and if anything happens, they will find his bones in the desert. He continued to make threats regarding other people who have gone against him on business deals. Mm. Okay, that was taken directly from the police report. Yeah, it's amazing. So, right, and and then uh, then you you add that into you add you put that. Uh, and and we'll start stacking this up. Now, I want to I want to preface. You know, I probably should have said this earlier. I want to preface all of this with: I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that Dan Kavanaugh did this. What I'm saying is, this is the evidence the detectives ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, your your listener can 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 decide what you know what they believe, but. I'm, I'm definitely not saying that my belief is Dan Kavanaugh did this. I do have opinions, mm-hmm. um, but I just want to let, let everybody know that this is, I'm only, I'm going to be giving the facts, mm-hmm. especially in my book. I'll be giving them the facts, and I'm not going to be giving opinions. Opinions are like us, you know, when mm-hmm. we have to change. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be giving the facts, and I'll let the readers um, decide what they may. Definitely. Okay. But you put all of that in. I said all that to say this. You put that in line with um, him calling Summers' tel- telephone, or, or I'm sorry, telling the detective in his interview that he was Joseph's business partner. Um. And then when he called Summer and made it and left a voicemail, he said, "This is Joseph's partner or ex-partner." Um, and then, and then you add on to that what Dan said about I don't know whether have I read this to you what Dan specifically said about what he believes happened to the family. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Everybody else just said, well, "I don't know. I don't know what happened." All right. When Dan Kavanaugh was asked. This is exactly what he told the detectives, and this is verbatim. Quote, you know what I mean? But you got professional weirdo on the Internet that came, and he said, like, dude, I saw these two little kids and this wife and this long-haired little kid and this guy. I'm just going to wait till he, like, leaves, stop him on the corner, make him disappear, and then come in when it's just his wife and kids. Tell them to put all their cell phones here on the, not all their cell phones, just like hers or whatever. Get them so easily. Two little kids can't fight back. You can't find that much struggle and stuff that, you know, walk that way or I'm going to blow your brains out, people. Walk that way. That was his statement. It's amazing. It's chilling. Chilling just to hear those words. Yeah, and the detectives ignored it. Yeah. Ignored it, and here's another thing that they ignored. When um, right in the middle of of this discussion about you know what what's going on with you know what about about this disappearance and everything, Kavanaugh just pops up and says, you know what, and this is quote, this potentially could help the website a little bit. There's a few though, like ABC News. Those are big news sites. They're authoritative. Google doesn't know what that is. It's just 
just a link that's coming from a reputable source over to this and has a word, water fountain owner is abducted. That could potentially help our web, website. Hmm. He told the detective that. Out of the blue, the detective didn't even ask. Mm-hmm. He just just volunteered that. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it doesn't sound like somebody who just lost a, a friend or a, 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 a liked business partner. You know, they oh, I could care less that he's gone, but hey, we can let's go make some money. He doesn't sound any, you know, sounds pretty heartless. And I mean, correct right. me, correct me right. if I'm wrong, but from what the documentary insinuated. And and you said something to me um, before that blew me away, that, oh, he was in Hawaii, so he has an alibi. Um, but something that you said, where on one hand, okay, it, it kind of makes sense if his ex-girlfriend, who really didn't like him at all, from what she said, whether it's true or not, had the perfect opportunity you know, to say, oh, he wasn't with me, but no, he was with me in, in Hawaii. But you said that... I think it was January 28th that you said that Dan's IP computer address hit in San Diego when he's supposed to be in Hawaii. It began hitting, I believe, January 28th and went all the way through February 17th, hitting in San Diego. Oh, the whole time. Okay. Um, And so you cannot hit an IP address in San Diego if you were in Hawaii, mm-hmm. it's just not possible. Um, but his did, but the court just dismissed it. That's amazing. So definitely amazing. And my attorneys didn't really didn't really push the issue that much. Mm. Yeah, that's... Um, here's 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 a few other things that Dan said about Joseph uh-huh. directly to the detective. He's he, talking about basically what, uh, how much the problems he was having between him and Joseph. And he tells the detective, let's me- maybe do something on the side here. He tried to do some side shady shit with Chase. We have an EIP, but he had created a second one, EIP Fountain, on my QuickBooks account that I didn't even know about. Joseph created it, and that was their little side hustle. And he goes on to say, I would go and acquire those backlink campaigns and run all of that stuff for the site while Joe's sitting there in his underwear and answering some calls, thinking he's running shit. He's popping new a new QuickBooks online account, dude. So I found out at one point that Joseph had this fat deal a year before they disappeared. He would then go on to create that separate QuickBooks online account and try to run that through that account. Joseph was surprised when I called him out on it. I was like completely kept in the dark. How dumb are people, right? That was about a year before they go missing. Then he went on to say, didn't even actually tell me about the sales that were some of the sales, but then I would later go on and just do my own audits and stuff and see, dude, okay, you established a couple new lines of fountains here. You were doing some side shitty shit, right? And then he says, we were talking about setting up the wateriron.com, so that was on our plate. I was kind of being left in the dark as to a couple of the deals, Saudi Arabia and Paul Mitchell, that at the time he probably didn't didn't give a shit about the water ionizers. He He's like, yeah, bro, we'll start this other company. I just made a hundred grand. Don't worry about that. And the detective says he's doing, and Dan says, he's doing that shit, dudes. They were my contacts. 
the detective says, so he's kind of got this little side business going. Yeah, I can still see it. But I'm like, dude, I can still see it. Like, I'd call him out from time to time and be like, bro. And then the detective says, so is that why you said you guys were best friends at first? We were best friends at first. So then he starts doing this stuff. Yeah, don't worry, dude. Like, you just have trust issues from your upbringing. Like, I'm a Christian family man, bro. I'm the only one that ever done that's ever done anything for you, bro. Do you think I'd like steal from you? Like, straight face, bro. He tried to pull the Christian card, the Christian card on me, and he tried to pull the like, you just have trust issues. It turned, it turns power eventually. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. was he trying to make it right? The detective asked, and he says, he was running a game, dude. He was, like, treating me like a 12-year-old, just throwing me a little bone here and there, like, never letting me get enough resources to launch my own new site. I made that business. Everything was because of me. 100% of any money he had was the detective. Well, there were some emails back and forth. Tell me what that was conversation was about. And he owed you some money. Dude, I know it's hard to believe, but I can see everything that comes to the site. Stuff doesn't slip through the cracks with me. You need to pay up, dude, to the tune of 20 Gs. Otherwise, I will take the whole site and just, I won't delete it, but I will, like, redirect all my, like, marketing efforts and powers that be that are off-site to not in your control and redirect them elsewhere. No problem. Now it's collecting dust. And he's like, whoa, why are you, like, threatening me this and that? After all, I've done for you. Like you met my like my wife and kids, like tried to bring up all this irrelevant shit, and then he's never and then he never ended up like paying me off. He was not he was not even making payments and shit, and he just mm-hmm. goes on and on and on. Yeah. And then he says, "I spent like the last ten years learning how to even do this. This is very difficult, bro. Don't squander my skills." Um. Mm-hmm. And then he tells him, I still have the power. In other words, he had control of the website. Or the, he's the one he's the one that that did all of the backlink work and stuff on the website. He's the one that did all of the work. So when and he so sold he it, had control of all Okay. So for that part, from from what I read he sold the company and we'll get into, you know, people who apparently got in trouble or who who are in part of the medical marijuana trade. He sold the company to them for reported over $200,000. How was that possible? If he was the website guy, how was he able to sell to these people? Well, he wasn't. Okay. That's just it. He wasn't legally able to sell it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Okay. He, he did sell it. He told detectives he had, he was legally able to do it. But they they knew he was lying. They knew all along that he didn't own part of the company. Yeah. And that, matter of fact, he actually told them he didn't own the company when he was put face-to-face with, when they were asking him about this insurance policy that they thought Joseph had. And he, and, and he specifically told them, oh, well, wait, wait a minute. Um, that wouldn't have benefited me because I'm not part of the business. I didn't own any part of the business. Yeah, exactly. So that, that exactly. Business, you know. So he, they knew the truth, but they just chose to ignore everything he said. I mean, can you imagine a witness talking to you like a witness that you're talking to about a murder case 
and these and him talking to you like Dan talked to these detectives, telling mm-hmm. telling them that he was a shyster and he was, and they never bothered checking his alibi. Yeah. They never bothered. The only thing they did was check to see if the reservations had been made. And there were reservations made. But they never checked to see if Dan was actually on the plane. Ever. Nobody to this day has ever been able to establish that he was actually on that plane at that mm-hmm. time. And, and what... the only thing they did was was talk to his girlfriend, whom he probably paid off with some of the over two hundred thousand dollars that he that he uh, made. Mm-hmm. That's my ever so humble opinion. But you know, now was this the knows? same the same girl? You also said something I had mentioned when you sold the company for you know, over two hundred thousand dollars, reportedly, that there was a little side story that was not mentioned in a documentary. And I'm not sure if it was mentioned in the trial or not, that maybe with the same people he sold the business to who were in the, the marijuana trade, or at least it, partly that there yeah, was some debt. It involved. was not like, mentioned in. Yeah. It was not mentioned in trial. Okay. I, I found out that the, the two men that went to prison for the, one of the biggest drug busts in San Diego's history, guns and drugs and everything. The two men that bought the website um, actually stated, told detectives that Dan's girlfriend was a, a courier for them, and that she somehow lost a hundred thousand dollars worth of marijuana wow. that she was supposed to be delivering. Dan mm-hmm. Kavanaugh is the one that hooked them up together, and so. They basically told Dan, "You are the one, you, you owe it. Hmm. We're holding you responsible for it." Well, Dan ended up selling the company to those people for twenty thousand dollars in cash, the forgiveness of that hundred thousand dollar debt, and twenty percent of sales for the first year. Hmm. That was the deal. Time-wise, do we know uh, approximately when that debt, so to speak, accrued from from her? Was this around the disappearance time? That's just a, that is just a, it is somewhere in in or around the disappearance. Mm. Yes, mm-hmm. but was it prior to or just after? Or I cannot say. I wish that I could because I would I would be a little bit more. Well, maybe even uh, more accusatory. Of course, if, that's a big piece of I, evidence. If, if so, it's a big I one. Yeah. It was done before. Uh-huh. If I knew that it was done before, then I would, I would, I would say, you know what, this, this is too coincidental. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, and I'm not going to speculate. Um, so I have no idea. Mm-hmm. All I know is what I heard, and that's pretty. Sorry that football games on right now. I can hear it. Everybody's yelling. <laughs> yeah, I get it. And on the... Uh... Uh, another thing that... Uh-huh. Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, keep going. Uh, I was going to say another thing, another thing that um, about Susan Blake and her testimony, um, besides many, many lies that she actually got caught in, like when she said that 
we all gave her permission to clean the house, and obviously she didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she lied about saying that Joseph told her he was getting rid of me, when, and when she, but when she was confronted with the detective's report and her actual what she actually said in her interview, she she said, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's what he said." He said that he was keeping Chase and getting rid of Dan. But yet, mm. in the, at the end of trial, all of that just went by the wayside. Mm. The fact that Susan Blake lied, and she was caught in the lie, was when she said that I that Joseph told her I was being sidelined. She was actually caught in that lie. Amazing. But yet, the court, even the court, at the end of the end of my trial when he was stating some of the facts, said that Susan Blake said that I was being, that Joseph told, him, told her I was being sidelined. When that isn't what she, it's what she tried to say. But then when I made my attorneys confront her with the actual statement she made to the detective, she acquiesced and said, yeah, that's what he told me. It, it, was, yes. it wasn't, he wasn't getting rid of Chase. Mm-hmm. He was keeping Chase and adding new welders, building, the, making the business, you know, bigger and getting rid of Dan. Mm-hmm. But nobody, nobody picked up on that. And, but she lied to her teeth. Yeah. She lied when she said no money came in after February 10th. She also lied when she said that she never gave Dan any money um, after Joseph left. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting here right now looking at a check from on 41210 made out to Dan Kavanaugh, signed by Susan Blake, a check for $3,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, almost every, you know, and I, I hate to say it because, I mean, obviously she's a victim of this crime as well. And I, I do definitely, uh, my heart goes out to her. But she... I don't think she fully comprehended the ramifications of the lies that she was telling because they obviously convinced her that I was the culprit. Sure. And because of that, she was willing to say virtually anything. Yeah. And I don't think she realizes just how much of an impact her statement Mm -hmm. almost certainly had on the jury. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, and Michael is the same way. Mm-hmm. And with this, also, you know, I want to give you a chance to respond to some accusations against you. And we talked about some of them uh, before. Um, the, like I said, there's two sides, like it's two sides of the fence. Like some, whether people point their fingers at Dan, people are pointing their fingers at you. And I had asked questions or what questions do you want um, Chase to answer? Like, where, where does this sticking point for some of you, the followers? One, and I don't think it was too much of a sticking point, but I'll bring it up anyway if you want to, to address it, uh, about some felony, felony convictions from Burgley in your past. I think it was like $32,000 worth of welding and drilling equipment from a place called San Gabriel Valley Ornamental Ironworks in California. And he said, oh, acquaintance of Merritt told San Diego reporter, I think police should look at him and anyone associated with him. Now, it's, it doesn't really tie somebody to a murder, but again, just something that people brought up if you just wanted to address that and say, uh, what that was all about or yeah i can i can i i can address that um the 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 
person that you're talking about, yes, he owned that company. Him and I were manufacturing. I, I actually had brought to him a project building uh, stand, ornamental iron stands for marble sinks that were very, very high end, and copper sinks and different, different types of sinks for bathrooms. And we were doing that, those, that project. And he ended up, him and I ended up having a serious problem. Um, him owing me a great deal of money. We ended up uh, not, we didn't part ways amicably. And I went into his shop and took my equipment, not his, my equipment out of his shop. Now, um, I ended up pleading guilty to, it never went to trial or anything, but I ended up pleading guilty. And yeah, um, I, I, I did, did something that I shouldn't have done. And, you know, I, uh, ended up paying for it. But to be clear, the way the report was, was it it seemed to be, you broke into somebody, you have no idea who it was. You broke into a specific building and just stole a whole bunch of stuff. But that's not how it was. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's That's not remotely the truth of what happened. Exactly. (laughs) So. No, no. And, you know, and I'm not trying to mitigate what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, it was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I've done other things that were wrong in my life. Mm -hmm. But none of that should have really much to do with this case exactly yeah number one it was it was decades ago number two um it had nothing to do with any type of violence (laughs) i have never never been um accused of anything violent other Mm. than other than some idiot telling the press and everybody that i allegedly Swung a cat around the around by the <laughs> tail until its tail came off. Oh yes, yes. I mean, which is yeah, exactly ridiculous, of course. Another. But, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and a couple other, other things. Yeah. For example, one um, person wrote, and I saw some of this online too. He's like, if someone said to be Joseph's friend, who talked to Joseph multiple times a day, why didn't Chase alert the family or police right away? Because it was actually David or Dave Cav- or Dan Cavanaugh who alerted the family by emailing Patrick Mistay, and it was Dan Cavanaugh, possibly even from Hawaii, um, who called San Diego police for a welfare check not once, but according to San Diego dispatch four times. That's and they said from the quotes, doesn't doesn't seem like a guilty person would notify the police. Um, but why didn't Chase as his best friend or okay. close friend? That's that was right. a sticking point. All right. I'll definitely I'll definitely answer that. Number one, Dan Cavanaugh only called. San Diego police one time um, for a welfare check. Mm. And that was on February 10th. I can't remember the time, but I have the transcript from it. Um, he, he, that was February 10th. That was a, a, a day after I had already notified the family. I went to Susan Blake's house around noon on February 9th and specifically told her, there's something amiss. Um, I'm going to check on Joseph, and I'll call you from his house. 
when when I'm when when I you know when I'm there, which I did. So uh, Dan Kavanaugh did not notify the family first. Oh, I did. Okay. Dan Kavanaugh never caught, talked to Patrick McStay until February 10th. Mm, okay. The day that he called in the welfare check. Mm-hmm. I have the phone message. Nice. And um, Michael called Patrick. Patrick said, this is February 10th, not 9th, February 10th. Patrick said Dan called him on February 10th. Michael then called his mother. His mother said that I was had already been there. So Dan, Dan Kavanaugh called Patrick McStay on February 10th. Not February 8th or 9th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the first one, actually, to reach out to Susan Blake. Prior to Dan Kavanaugh ever calling Patrick McShay, a day before. So I was the first one to alert the family, mm-hmm. number one. Okay. Um, I have all of the phone records. You'll be able to, your, your listeners will be able to see that on my website mm-hmm. um, when I put up all of these. I'll, I'll be, I'll be, you'll be able to, I'll have access to all the phone records, all the sure. police reports, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever I say, they'll be able to find in the records. That's good. I, that's very important. I Definitely. I'm not saying anything that isn't absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so February 10th, Dan calls Patrick. Michael calls Patrick, and because I believe Patrick left, had left a text or something with Michael. Patrick says, hey, your brother's missing. Go check on him. Michael says, I'm busy. I can't right now. I'm busy working. Michael hangs up, calls Susan Blake. Susan tells him that I had already been there and told her that Joseph was missing. Mm. But it was the day before. Michael lied. Michael, Michael lied and said that he then called me while I was on my way home from Joseph on the ninth, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. Michael called me on February 10th at 4, 4 something p.m. That was the first time Michael had ever called me. And I wasn't on my way home. If, if mm-hmm. people really understood the facts, they would understand that what Michael was saying was false anyway, because when I left Joseph's house on the February 9th, I didn't go home. I went to the casino. Mm-hmm. To play to play a tournament, okay. Because there was a tournament going on that night, so I was I I ended up leaving after I checked on Joseph. Matter of fact, I almost missed the tournament because mm-hmm. I was checking on Joseph. Yeah. But I ended up just barely making it. And so Dan Dan lied when he said that he he contacted me on February night. He didn't. Yeah. Nobody contacted me until February tenth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that contacted Susan Blake. Good. And I'm the one that went and checked on Joseph. Mm-hmm. Prior to anybody else, prior even to Dan Kavanaugh um, calling a welfare check-in on the 10th, on February 10th. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not sure what your listeners 
are reading or listening to, but those are the absolute facts. Yeah. I was the first one to alert the Okay. And the other point was when you were talking to detectives, when he was still missing, uh, you were referring to them or him in the past tense. He is the quote was right. he was five four and eight, I guess. And he, that became a yeah, mm-hmm. and that became a big thing in, in trial. Yeah. Um, and that's one of that that's one of the biggest reasons or that's one of the reasons, that's a small reason, but it's one of the reasons I also wanted to testify. Because and I and I actually gave all of this information to my attorneys to bring up with the detectives, but they just never did. They they were uh, yeah, they just never did. Mm-hmm. The fact is, Detective Duvall and Detective Fisk, the first um, detectives that came and interviewed me, the, the interview that I was allegedly saying things in past tense. Number one, they introduced themselves as homicide detectives. Number two, the, um, they specifically told me that there was something seriously amiss and that's the reason they took they took the 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 case mm-hmm. they believed in other words they convinced me most definitely that they believed Joseph and the family were dead okay as a matter of fact in the detective's report um well in the interview the detective says what do you think um oh he, he asked me if I, I knew of anybody or anyone, you know, anyone that um, would want to cause harm to the family. And I said, no. And that was the question. But in his report, he, in his report, he stated that he asked me, did any, was, was there anybody that would want the family dead? Mm. Okay. But that's not what he asked me. He, yeah. he, 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 but that really was the the kind of um, the feeling of the interview. That would make sense. I, I, yeah. That's that's where they believed. That's what they believed. And so the way they were talking to me and the questions they were asking me, asking me in the past tense, like was Joseph this and was Summer this, and um, did did Joseph ever do this? And you know, yeah. they were, all the questions they were asking me were all in the past tense. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. And so, my answers, my answers, almost instinctively became in the past tense because mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the mindset that I was in during that interview. I was sitting talking to to homicide detectives and they were asking me things in past tense so i it you know and people say oh it's not natural but it really is mm-hmm. and you know um if you look at if you look at susan blake's interview michael mcstay's macgyver mccarver's i have all of those interviews mm-hmm. every one of them everybody that talked to these detectives to, to, to first responding detectives talked in the past tense. I think that's a very important point because for, but, pe- for people who... But they mo- don't. Well, what you just said, I think, is something I definitely would highlight in the book, too, and I, that's why I want to I reiterate that, 
is because that was a big sticking point for a lot of people, even on a documentary and even some of my followers. But when you have, like you said, you have it documented, well, the family at this period of time is documented that they were saying things in the past tense also at the same time you were. It's very important. Very important point. Just as, just as much or more, um, you know, Michael McStay told San Diego in his very first interview that he he was hoping that they only went to Mexico. But he said, but then at the end of that sentence, he says, but that's just a pipe dream at this point. Mm. Mm-hmm. What is that if it's not a direct with Exactly. Reference to the fa- he believed the family had had met it for the mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but yet they don't bring Michael McStay's past tense answers or mm-hmm. Susan Blake's or MacGyver McCarter's or any any anyone else's. Yep. But because I was the suspect, oh now it's now it's very very important and very critical that I was talking in past tense. Yeah, that but makes sense. in reality, yep. that's the way I felt. I actually felt that something had seriously, seriously yeah. happened to the family. Well, apparently everybody did. And That's that what everybody was saying. Were here, yep. and that it, yeah. And that these detectives were here because they believed they had, they had been killed. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, even in, in the de- detective Wall's original search warrant for the McStay house on the 19th, that he authored on the 18th, just just one day after he interviewed me, he specifically said in his in his sworn affidavit that because of all the circumstances, and this is circumstances that he's just learning, everyone everyone close to Joseph already has known these circumstances for, for days and a couple of weeks. He's just learning these circumstances, and he says, because of all the circumstances, because of this and this and this and this. I believe the family was either kidnapped or killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if he can believe that, then why wouldn't someone closer to Joseph that knows him better than him, knows that Joseph would not just disappear without phone calls, without telling his loved ones and so on. Why wouldn't other people believe that, that, they were either kidnapped or killed. Sure. Yeah, and why wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. The, the question really shouldn't be, why Why was was Chase speaking in past, past tense? Sure. It should be, in my opinion, why wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. One of the other points, I don't put, okay, too, much, so, I don't put too much credit on this one because it certainly could happen. Um, but it said around that time, uh, you had injured your hand. You know, and they asked, oh, I cut it on a piece of sheet metal. Okay. And they asked somebody who worked there, I guess, with you, David Sakaida, Sequita, whatever his name was, from Metro Sheet Metal, uh, if Chase had hurt his hand that day, and he said no. no you, can, you can address it. I don't think okay. it's a big deal, but you can, you can no, address it actually, if you want. Yes, I will, because it is important. Um, he didn't say, no, I didn't. He was never asked, did I hurt my hand that day? He was asked, do you ever, do you ever remember Chase? Injuring himself. Gotcha. That's what he was at. Okay. Ever in the history, right? And he said, "I don't know. I don't remember him injuring himself. I don't mm-hmm. recall any injuries." Right. 
um, that that's number one. Number two, if you recall, I was interviewed on February 17th, a full two and a half weeks, or you know, 14, yeah, two and a half, uh, two weeks, a full two weeks after Joseph disappeared. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, they're trying to link this injury to my hand to the crime, right? But they were, I was being interviewed on February 17th, and when Detective Fisk, in the interview, specifically asked about it, she, like she said, and it wasn't my palm, like everybody is saying, it was actually the back of my hand. Mm. And I told Detective Fisk, I said, yeah, I was just at, at um, the shop this morning, and my phone records show me at the shop that morning, by the way, <laughs> to confirm that I was there. Mm-hmm. I was said, and when I walked by this this rack of um, sheet metal, the back of my hand hit one of the sheets of sheet metal, and it cut cut it open in the, across the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah, I, I bled like a pig." Yeah. And her words, at, on two weeks after the, the alleged crime took place, her words were, "Yeah, it looks pretty fresh to me." Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Had that injury. Had that injury actually been done when the crime was alleged to have occurred, it would not look pretty fresh. It would have sure. almost completely healed. Of course. Would definitely have a major scab on it. Mm-hmm. But but people don't people don't listen to this. All they have to do is go back and listen to that interview. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, it was it was actually read during trial, and the detect- detective just specifically asked me. Or specifically say, yeah, it looks pretty new to me. And I said, yeah, I just did it today. Da, 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 sure. And here's how I did it. Mm-hmm. And then the phone records back up the fact that I was at the Metro Sheet Metal at, on that at, at that very morning. Good. Um, I made phone two or three phone calls. Mm-hmm. So for them for them to assert that it was somehow linked. Mm-hmm was absurd, number one. And for for people to not look a little deeper into it prior to just just assuming that, you know, that's the case. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know come on. I mean mm-hmm. if you're going to if you're going to look at it if you're going to look at the details of a crime or the details of, of things happening, mm-hmm. uh, you need to look at all the details. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This would not have said, yeah, that looks pretty new to me if it was two weeks old. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing. But but also, I was at Metro Sheet Metal that morning. And, I mean, the, the, the prosecutor used it multiple times during the trial mm-hmm. to try to assert that, that, that it probably happened during the trial. Yes. He says, <laughs> in his closing argument, he says, and yeah, and then there's that also... Keep in mind, also, uh, hopefully your, your listeners will hear this. Anything that I'm, I'm saying, like about the, the injuries in my hand, um, the finances, the, what Michael said or Susan said or the bank account, um, all of that is number one will be in the book, and it will be it will be demonstrated. Um, Thoroughly, mm-hmm. it will be uh, vetted 
all of those topics that we vetted, including the injury in my hand, Good. and showing all of the evidence that it, it, it there's just no possible way it could have been linked yeah. to any kind of um, nefarious. Way. Good. And then um, really, uh, uh, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. And they'll, they'll also be able, besides in the book, they'll also be able to look for themselves because I will give them specific places to go in um, discovery. Discovery oh, nice. that I will make readily available to them. Nice. I'll give them the places to go to see what actually transpired. Mm -hmm. to, to see everything, not just what the prosecutor wanted to wanted to show, not just what the defense counsel wanted them to see, but everything. That's good. And I'm assuming also with the website when a website so, comes out, um, which is seeing going to be yeah, the same as the title of the book. Be, and it looks like maybe by the first of the year, you think the website's going to be up. Uh, the prosecutor's puppets .com. Most definitely. Good. Yeah, it, yeah, the prosecutor's puppets .com, and that that will be. Uh, you know what? It, now I'm saying .com, but now that I'm thinking of it, it I think it might be .net. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when it comes up, well, well I'll go back the, on. I'll let everybody it's know. The prosecutor's, yeah. Right, it's the prosecutor's puppets. Good. Um, I I own the domain name now, Perfect. and so it, um, and, and it is being built as we speak. Good. So um, everything will be available. That's good. That. And really, so the last people two... want to really hear oh. the truth. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Go ahead. Um, and really, that's the last two sticking points, and we can uh, finish up with uh, you know how the both sides. Anything. Um, anything. The the DNA on the steering wheel, um, where you is reported that said that you have never driven it. But such a trace amount was found, you know, on, on the steering wheel. Um, and then lastly, um, the cell tower, the infamous cell tower. You know, and you're saying, oh, I was at my sister's house. My sister said, oh, I haven't seen him in five years. And then next thing you know, I said, oh, no, yeah, he was with me. Um, and the cell towers have me here. But no, not really the cell towers were something was wrong with the cell towers. There's a lot of confusion uh, about what actually you said, where exactly you were. Were you at the sister's house? Not at the sister's house. Um, and so, you know, just a free reign to uh, right, explain it away. <laughs> I'll address, I'll address the DNA, the DNA on the steering wheel sure. first. Um, yeah, the DNA on the steering wheel. I was a trace contributor. I was a, or I mean, a minor. Con oh, I was a minor contributor on the steering wheel. Trace contributor, um, other place, somewhere else in the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Now. Here's the here's here's the sticking point. Um, they are accused me of driving driving the car, and that that's the reason my DNA was on the steering wheel. But number one, yes, I was in that in his car multiple times. But the last time I remember being in the trooper was. When we went paintballing about a month, 30, I think it was 33 days prior. Um, and we were obviously, um, I was sitting in the passenger side, he was driving. Now, what, what the prosecutor said is my DNA was on the steering wheel and, and the stick shift. But that, that, that is not the truth. Mm -hmm. My, dear, my DNA was on the steering wheel for sure. Well, a partial profile. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, 
it was likely my DNA. I'm not, I'm not disputing the fact that it probably was. But in the, the, the DNA that they say was on the stick shift, they have no clue because the, the tech that, that swabbed for the DNA swabbed the stick shift, the four-wheel drive lever, the air conditioning controls, the heater controls, the radio controls, and the entire center console with just one swab. Wow. So there yeah. is no way there's no way to know where that DNA came from. It mm-hmm. could very well have been on the stick shift. But it also could have been on the radio control or the center divider or mm-hmm. virtually anywhere. Now the most important thing to remember, and this will all be in the book, um the most important thing to remember is that the prosecutor, the prosecutor's uh, expert, specifically said that there was not enough DNA on the driver's side door to just to discern who was on it, mm-hmm. right? But what 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 he left out is the fact that. He was he was only concerned with DNA that was not Joseph or Summers. In reality, and of course this will be in in discovery, and I'll sh- I'll be showing it in the book. The DNA swab from the door, the the door handle of the Suzuki Trooper, the inside door handle, and the locking mechanism came up as Joseph McStay only. Mm-hmm. His entire profile. Okay was on there. So it wasn't white or anything because his entire profile, if it was white down, it would have been a partial profile or it would have looked degraded sure. at the very least. Yeah, that's a good point. But his entire profile was on that that doorknob. Had I driven that car, um, wouldn't you think that my DNA would probably be on the, because it wasn't wiped down. Exactly. There's proof that it wasn't wiped down because his entire profile was there. Yeah, good point. Definitely. How would I get out of that? How would I get out of that car without <laughs> opening the door with that handle? Yeah, very good. Point. My DNA was not that, was not there, and I have I have the the electro uh, par- for that particular uh, swab, mm-hmm. and it is Joseph. Yeah, and only Joseph. And then on the passenger side, they said the same thing. We can't discern any, you know, much da 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 da, da mm-hmm. other than Joseph and partial to Summers. But in reality, my entire profile was on that doorknob. The on the passenger side. side. Passenger side, exactly. On the passenger side. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. They didn't. They never stated that in trial. Nope, not at all. They never stated it in trial, and my my attorneys were so flipping stupid. They did. They, I gave it. I gave them the electrophorogram, and I said, "Look, this is my profile." Tell the jury that I I my profile was on the passenger side door and not on the driver's side door, yeah. and that almost certainly the DNA that was in the vehicle, that the, the small amount that was on the steering wheel and wherever it was in the center console area was almost certainly touch DNA, where mm-hmm. Joseph touched something that I touched, sure. or I touched something, and then, you know, whatever. Yeah. It was transfer DNA. Yeah, makes sense. It, and all of the evidence points to 
it's only being really feasible to conclude that it was transfer DNA and that I was not the driver. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, there's no question, had I been the driver, that the driver's side door handle would have had my DNA on it. Of course. Because it was not wiped down. Mm -hmm. Joseph's entire profile was there. That's proof that it wasn't wiped down. And they, they actually have testimony that stated, yeah, if something is wiped down, it would it would look like it was degraded of profile. Course. You yeah, would only have a partial or yeah. no DNA or mm -hmm. no DNA at all. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't wiped down, but yet my DNA wasn't there. Good. It wasn't on the locking mechanism. Mm -hmm. Yet the vehicle was locked when I, if, if I had been the one to lock it. I would have, just like everybody, locked it from the inside, you know, locked, mm -hmm. put it in lock and shut the door. Sure. But but my DNA wasn't, it was only Joseph. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and the people during the trial, nobody got got to hear all of that. And it, it's, it was so critical. And the fact that, I mean, um, the detectives actually verified I told them that, yeah, I was in the, the trooper um, about a month before because we went paintballing. The mm -hmm. detectives went to the paintball park and went on, it was on the base, the, the, the uh, I guess Navy base, anyway, um, and they got the records for both Joseph and I, where we played that day. So they knew that I was there with Joseph, and they knew that I that Joseph drove the trooper because um, the military has the record of the of the trooper coming in uh -huh. okay. into yeah. the base. Uh -huh. so, so they knew that we were there that day. They knew that I was in the, but then but the prosecutor had this, you know, and yeah, sure he was, sure he was in the trooper and you mm -hmm. know uh yeah. and all this shaking hand thing you know yeah maybe it was because i shook hands on the fourth with joseph and it transferred into his vehicle that's mm -hmm. very possible as well sure. but, mm -hmm. but 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 in reality there's so many ways it could have gotten there sure and the most important thing is that you weren't driving they, they completely <laughs> overlooked they overlooked the fact that where my DNA wasn't. Exactly. Definitely um, makes sense. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And all of that will, of course, be in the book, and you'll be able to see all of the, the sure. electrophorograms and everything oh, good. on my website. And I said, and the biggest, I said, probably the biggest sticking um, point, and we talked even about it before, uh, is the cell tower. You know, in one hand, one time you're right. supposedly said, or you're, when your sister was first interviewed, that, oh, I haven't seen him in like five years. And then at the trial, or, or at least one another police interview, we're like, "Oh no, he was with me." And then we were filming pinged around yeah. that same time. So, um, what was the story with that? Yeah, I, you know, I'm. I hate to. Uh, you know, I love my sister to death. You know, I I would step in front of a train for her, but my sister, my older sister, for lack of better words. Kind of a looney tune. <laughs> um, I love her to death, you know, but um, she's gotten a, a bit strange in her old age. Number one, 
when the detective came out to her trailer the day that she said that she hadn't seen me in quite a while, she didn't say five years, by the way. Um, she said quite a while, and he said something about five years, and she said, oh, maybe, or something to that effect. Okay. I, have the, I have the transcripts of the interview, mm-hmm. and of course, you'll be able to see those. Um, but in that interview, before the interview started, my my sister came out and she like was tripping over herself, uh, literally, like she could barely walk um, because she had recently got out of back surgery, major back surgery. Um, she was um, just barely recovering, and she was on massive painkillers. I mean. She literally didn't know where she was half of the time. She told the detectives that she was. As a matter of fact, if you if you look at the detective's testimony uh, in cross-examination, the detective admits, yeah, she did tell me that she was on drugs and couldn't remember any any kind of timelines or anything like that. Okay. But mm-hmm. but he continued to he continued to interview her anyway. Yeah, and some of the, some of the things she said just wasn't did not make sense. When she came to trial, she was much more coherent, but she was still a little bit. Uh, she's just a loony thing. Um, <laughs> she ended up saying, "Yeah, he he did come up and see me all the time, and and I did." Um, had had my attorneys bothered to put my brother or my younger sister on the stand as well. They would have confirmed that I was up up in the high desert probably about once a month, maybe once every six weeks. Um, Not super often, but I was up there quite a bit. Um, And they say that, although, and this is really important, the prosecutor and the detectives are asserting, they're trying to assert that, um, number one, well, look, she said, she said five years and, and da 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 da, and he he hadn't been up there in all of this time. But what they failed to, to to really get across, even though it came up really briefly with detect or with Agent Bowles testimony um, in cross examination, it was brushed over like super quick, and was and no point was made of it, which it should have been, and that is the fact that. Just in July, I think July or August, I think it was July of 2009, which was just July, August, September, October, November, which was just four or five months prior to the disappearance and prior to the time I was there um, hitting that tower on the, on the 6th. Mm-hmm. I hit that same tower. At an azimuth of 325 degrees, which points directly at my sister's house. Uh, okay. Uh-huh. But yet, that was just brushed over. Like, well, you know, they they say, yeah, he all what they what they what they used it for is, yeah, he was only there one of we only know that he was on the desert one other time in the last you know whatever right. And, and he hit one time at, on this tower 
uh, but pointing at 325 degrees. Right? But but they just really brushed over it, and they used it for some for, for something nefarious instead of as demonstrating that. Well, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. My sister may very well be telling me telling the truth at trial because my phone records actually show me hitting uh, hitting that same tower, pointing directly at her house. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but that's that just went. That was just blown by the wayside. You know, it, it was never really brought up, never really exposed to the jury or or, or to anyone for that matter. Mm-hmm. So basically, it proves that I was going up there, other than February sixth, sure, and that I was going to my sister's house because mm-hmm. my sister lived out in the literally middle of Oregon, in the middle of nowhere. Nothing else is out there. Sure. Literally, or I don't know if you've ever been to Oregon. No, but no. oh my, well, you're not even from California. But <laughs> Oregon is literally a, a two and a half horse town. Oh, okay. Literally, I don't even think they have a gas station. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I know they don't. Mm-hmm. So, or they didn't then. So you know, um, the only reason I would be over in that direction is to be at her house. But yet they just rush rush over that. Um, secondly, the February sixth tower, the quartzite tower. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm in the middle of I'm in the middle of Agent Bowles an Agent Bowles write up that's going to be on my website that I'm sending to the Department of Justice, demonstrating just how much he falsified he falsified documents and perjured himself throughout my trial. And I'm doing a, a big write-up to the Department of Justice right now that's going to be on my website. Um, and I'm, I'm letting them know, I'm showing them just how fallible the phone, the phone records are. Because that particular tower, three times in its history, had all of its, allegedly, the records at least show that that tower had all of its antenna all pointing to 49 degrees. Which is logistically impossible. You can't have five antennas pointing at 49 degrees. Okay. You, you, number one, mm-hmm. it would cause so much interference you wouldn't be able to make a phone call. <laughs> number two, there would be no reason for them to have a tower on top of a mountain with all the antennas pointing in one direction. And 49 degrees happens to be out into the middle of the desert, into nowhere, basically nowhere. So. The records for that that particular tower are notoriously wrong, and in order for um, when you when you make a phone call, when well when the engineers go out and um, put up the equipment, install the equipment, and everything, they generate the records, the tower records. They say, okay, we put this tower here at this GPS coordinate. And these are the antennas we put on it, and they're pointing at 210, da 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 da, and, and, and they put it all into the system. But if they put that into the system erroneously, if they put it in there wrong, and then someone calls and hits that that particular antenna, let's say an antenna that is at 85 degrees, and in reality, um, 
you're hitting an antenna that's pointing in 325 degrees, then it's going to put you someplace that you're not on the opposite side of the tower. Sure. And I show I show in this report where there's there's dozens and dozens of towers that very similar where it shows two 280 degree antennas pointing both in the same direction mm. when there's there's no logical reason for that. Yeah. Um, and the yeah. technology can't support it. Mm-hmm. But if you hit one of those two 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 hundred and eighty degree um, antenna, and that antenna is actually pointing to ten degrees, but if there's a crime scene at two hundred and eighty degrees, you can be implicated. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. though you may have been at the ten degree antenna. Sure. Um, anyway, there's it, it, there's much more to it than that, and they'll have to go and look at. Um, matter of fact, this write up will be done fairly fairly soon, and I'll be sending it off to the Department of Justice. Good, good. Um, not long after that, probably the end of this month, maybe a, maybe a week into uh, um, October, mm-hmm. I am going to have it on the website. I believe the website will be up by then, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, good. Um, they'll be able to read, read exactly what this tower was doing and why this evidence it's just impossible to trust what what yeah. what the records say, and, and they'll be able to see it uh, for their own. Um, I, you know, I'm not just blowing smoke here. Sure. When they go there, they'll be able to see the tower records. They'll be able to see my phone records. They'll be able to see all of the all of the information that they need mm-hmm. to make a logical and accurate decision about what the evidence actually is. Oh, for sure. And I can guarantee you, I guarantee you, every one of your listeners will, will, will say, I'll be damned, he wasn't there. Yeah. Well, I think because that's the... That's exact, and that's exactly, what my, that's exactly what my expert said. The mm-hmm. expert that we had, our, our expert said, no, he was not in the 85-degree azimuth, and here are the reasons why. Mm-hmm. And then my defense counsel chose, for whatever reason, to not call him as a witness. Yeah, that's wild. Were they? Were Were the prosecutors pulling their strings? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I believe. I believe that's a very good possibility. Um, and there, there's you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's all I got to say about that. That's, I mean, there's not much I can say without, without being able to put in front of your listeners the pages of the of the reports and sure. the pages of the the mm-hmm. um, tower records and stuff. Um, all all this is is talk right now, you know, and you know anybody can say, yeah, I wasn't there, and here's the reason, but. To, to really prove it, you actually have to have the documents in front of you for people to really believe um, that you know what I'm saying is true. Of course, I, I don't expect them to right now. Mm-hmm. I don't expect them to say, "Oh, yeah, sounds like he's telling the truth." Mm-hmm. No bullshit. Wait <laughs> until you get the wait until you get the, get the proof in, in front of you. Yeah. Um, because again, I I'm, I I have no visions of grandeur here. Mm-hmm. I am a convicted I am a convicted killer according to 
the state of California. Mm -hmm. I don't expect your listeners to believe everything that I'm saying right now. Mm -hmm. But I implore them to go and look at what I'm saying. When I when I put this website up and when I when I get this book finished, look at what I have to say and look at the proof and then you can decide for yourself. Yeah. That's that's all I ask. I'm not asking you to believe me now because that would be way, way too much for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, hell, when I, when I was convicted, the day, the day before the jury came back, I sat in front of my attorneys and said, you, I'm, I'm going to be convicted. And they said, and they told me, well, no, you don't know that. And I said, yes, I do. If I was a juror, and heard what they heard, I would convict me. So how can I how can I expect them to not convict me if I would convict myself with that with the information that they have? Yeah. The problem is they weren't given all of the information. They weren't given the truth about a lot of things, and all of that will be will be will be um, open for everybody to see very shortly. That's good. So, yeah, I mean that, that's why I wanted to give I you the. That. Yeah, I mean that's why I wanted to give you this platform. Um, yeah, I think I mean you, I think you just by this you you will convince a lot of people, but I think but you're also going to back it up with the facts. Um, but yeah, no, I mean that's you convinced me, and I was I was leaning on your side anyway, to be honest. Um, but no, I think it's great, and I think. Well, it, nice, and uh, <laughs> I don't, and like I said, I don't, I don't, I really don't expect to convince people yet. Mm-hmm. I do expect to convince people eventually when all of everything is put in front of me and, and the ones the ones that really want to understand what went on mm-hmm. they'll be able to see everything good and, um, i do expect i do expect them to, uh, to be believed eventually sure but not yet yeah you know, they don't have all the information mm-hmm. and, you know I can't expect that well you gave us and a lot I don't of fault people for, uh, oh sure. I'm gonna say because you you gave us a lot of information <laughs> over this. Uh, you know, we're doing the part one and part two of of this. Um, we've but, we've we've bar- we've barely scratched the surface. Yeah, believe me, definitely. And that's what's barely going to be, barely scratched. That's what's going to be great about the book that's going to be coming out. And of course, I'll let all of my listeners know you know when when it's going to be released. Uh, I'll put everything up on my website, all my websites, all the social media pages. We'll get the word out. Uh, prosecutors, puppets. Uh, and then the website, uh, again, we'll announce that once it's official, once it's up and running, and just promote it, promote it, and promote it. Um, and as we close, first of all, I think I'm if, more. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'm more interested, not so much promotion of the book, because I'm not going to make any money on the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more interested in just people seeing what, seeing the truth. Of course. That's all. Of course. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, there you go. Uh, Charles Chase Merritt. Uh, man, it blew me away. Um, if you haven't seen a documentary, I definitely go back and, and check it out. Two Shallow Graves. Um, and man, you, you just watching his facial expressions during that documentary, just looking at his lures like they're just like they're buffoons. You know, I don't know anything about the law. I mean, but there's so much evidence that did not get into this trial. So many things that the lawyers didn't capitalize on. Um, 
it's just amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. Now, I don't know if you're listening to this and you still think he's guilty, if you think he's innocent, whatever it may be. Um, if you want to reach out to him, you know, send me a message. Uh, I can get a letter to him, give you his information if you want to encourage him uh, in any way. But, man, it, it, that that's just wild, right? Now, I don't know what you think. You know, did Dan Cavanaugh do it? And certainly you have to admit, um, this is not an open and shut case. Um, even watching a documentary, I was like, ah, you know, I don't really know. I had doubt. I mean, I think it's hard not to watch that documentary and have doubt. But, you know, there's editing involved. Um, they can make somebody look good. They can make somebody look bad. You hear all the time on these reality TV shows. It's like, man, that is not how it happened. I mean, through the magic of editing. Um, I mean, even this for this podcast, this podcast is edited. You know, these aren't live phone calls. Um, now, what I add, I don't add any, um, you know, try to make anything funny with the words. There's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of, uh, hmm, uh, where is my notes? And you don't need to hear that. You know, so I call that stuff out. There's magic in editing. So when you're watching a documentary like that, I, that's, that's all I think of. What wasn't included in this? Because they can make, they can slant anything. You know, if it was the prosecution who made the documentary, they can slant it in their favor. If it was the um, defense team putting a documentary on, they can slant it in their favor. Um, but what I really liked about this was he did give a lot of facts. Um, you know, there's some things that are still up in the air about his sister. You know, some of my doubts would be his sister seemed pretty clear-headed when she said, I haven't seen him in five years. And he said, well, no, maybe she's on drugs, this and that. And, and the cell towers, you know, definitely pinged. Now, did they ping correctly or did they ping incorrectly? You know, said he's driving down the road at one point, had him ping at one place, and with his cell phone pinged at another place a couple of seconds later, but have it 10 miles down the road. So obviously there's truth and validity to, to that. Now, does that what exactly happen? I don't know. You know, that's that's not exactly, you know, written in stone fact. So you got to, you know, use wisdom a little bit there on, on making our decisions. Uh, but a lot of what he said was pure fact that's not deniable written statements. So I'm, I'm glad when, when his book is going to come out, um, and he's going he's to post on his website, when it does, all of my social media pages will have it. Uh, maybe we'll have him back on and hear the feedback from the book, uh, do another little promotion. Um, but like anything, I, I li- like to let the reader decide, uh, or listener decide in that matter, uh, what, what you think. So when I post this, uh, I love to hear your comments, uh, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, I got banned from TikTok. We're not doing TikTok anymore, you know, which is ridiculous. There's girls who jump up and down on their boobs, you know, live, you know, try to get all the, the free money they can get. And I'm, I'm not promoting serial killers. I'm not promoting, hey, violence. No, I'm promoting rehabilitation in the life of serial killers. And yeah, I might post some of the artwork they send me, but really, really, you got to ban me. Um, it's just the haters, you know, those who don't believe what I'm doing, uh, don't understand what I'm doing. Just report me, report me. It's like, really, come on, people. Seriously. Seriously. Uh, a little in, more information um, before you do something like that. Um, but, hey, let's get the word of the podcast out. Um, continue to share. Um, promote me. Help me out. Uh, and on a side note, um, you might want to keep your eye out. It's on NBC. I don't think it's going to be on Dateline, possibly. Um, Rex Harriman, 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 whatever you pronounce his name, the Long Island serial killer. They're going to have a two-hour documentary uh, in November. And yours truly might be a little have a little part in that. Uh, I was talking to one of the producers uh, because the happy face killer Keith Jesperson, as you heard through the podcast that he's been on on my show numerous times, that he has written other serial killers. Uh, he asked me to give him Rex's number. 
number. <laughs> yeah, he rang him up. Uh, his, uh, his mailing address uh, at the facility that he is and uh, that he's at, and I did. And Rex wrote him back. Um, so they were fascinated by that, and I was contacted um, by by a producer. Uh, so they have some, and I recorded some separate audio, about a half hour conversation just with Keith talking about writing other serial killers, and then specifically Rex. So as it looks like now, uh, they're going to be using some of that audio. Uh, and they said they're going to get me up to New York or come down to see me um, and film me for a little part of it. So nothing's in stone yet. We're just we're still talks, but they seem highly interested. So yours truly might be on Dateline NBC. And so, hey, that's millions of views on there. Heck, a lot more views than I get on my, my podcast. Uh, but hopefully that will increase. Uh, so, you know, keep an eye out for that. I'll certainly let everybody know. Follow me on my social media pages, the lighter side of serial killers. And until next time, see ya! <laughs> <laughs>